0: Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted October 7, 2016, we talk about healing the invisible wounds of war with Greek tragedy, an article in the new WPJ fall issue cover line, History's Ghosts. We'll also point out other top features in the new fall issue. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. When a man suffers without end in sight and takes no pleasure in living his life day to day wishing for death, he should not live out all his years. It is pitiful when men hold on to false hopes. A great man must live in honor or die an honorable death. That's all I have to say. The much honored actor David Strathairn read from the Sophocles play Ajax at the 92nd Street Y in New York this spring during a presentation about the redemptive power of ancient stories and especially the healing power of Greek tragedy for battalions of those wounded physically and emotionally by today's endless fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan, their families and friends, and loved ones of comrades who did not survive. On the stage with Strathern were fellow star Paul Giamatti and the man behind perhaps the most dramatic exploitation of that centuries-old redemptive and healing power. He's Brian Dorries, a classicist, translator, and director, whose Theater of War project presents spare stage readings of Greek tragedies for military and civilian communities to help explain, share, and reduce war's inevitable legacy of pain and loss. The new fall 2016 issue of World Policy Journal, History's Ghosts, features an article headlined Healing the Invisible Wounds of War with Greek Tragedy, adapted from a 2015 book by Doris, The Theater of War, What Ancient Greek Tragedies Can Teach Us Today. And we discussed it recently for this podcast. Brian Doris, welcome to World Policy On Air. Thanks so much for having me. Your article and your project actually start around 400 B.C. with the Sophocles play Philoctetes, about a wounded warrior abandoned by his army, which you eventually translated and directed in stage readings. What drew you to that play, and how did general audiences respond?
1: So I was drawn to that play because the play uh, described the experiences of a caregiver, uh, a young man who is thrust into a situation, an ethically impossible situation in which he's confronted by the suffering of another human being, but is ordered by his commanding officer um, to do something that goes against the grain of his moral compass, which is to say to betray that person. And um, When I translated the play, I recently lost my girlfriend um, to cystic fibrosis and a long drawn out. Uh, series of surgeries and um, i had been a caregiver myself and I've been thrust into those ethically impossible situations and um, I knew of which this, the play spoke. Um, it spoke directly to me as if it had been written for me or about me and I had this idea that if I could put the, audi- the play in front of audiences uh, who somehow had lived some of the experiences the play described as something powerful or perhaps healing would happen, and we started off with performances in hospitals um, and for medical students and doctors, and it was there that I learned that audiences who had skin in the game, who had experienced suffering or um, sort of moral distress or the ethical challenges of caring for those who were suffering, um, had more to teach me than I to teach them.
0: It was a subsequent Washington Post story in 2007 about scandalous conditions for veterans at Walter Reed Army Hospital that led you to connect the Sophocles play with the plight of modern warriors. Recall your reaction for us.
1: Yeah, so I read the Walter Reed scandal, which broke in the Washington Post in uh, 2007, and uh, a story by Dana Priest, and um, I was just so uh, incredibly... Uh, incensed and inf- offended by the idea that we had the audacity to send um, this volunteer army over to Iraq Iraq and Afghanistan and then um, to greet them with substandard medical care when they returned. I had I had marched in the streets against the foreign policy decisions that led us to invade Iraq. I was very much against the, the wars and yet uh, it seemed like we were about to make the same mistakes we'd made with the Vietnam generation which was to criminalize those who were carrying out our foreign policy decisions to treat them like like dirt and so i had this i you know on every page of every newspaper that covered that story all of a sudden i saw the story of philoctetes um philoctetes is the story of an abandoned warrior who's left by his own friends on an island for nine years on account of a chronic illness he contracts on the way of the trojan war and it occurred to me in reading the story that through modern medicine we'd And through modern warfare, we created the conditions to abandon veterans on islands of chronic illness for even longer than nine years, like 60 years, 70 years, with catastrophic injuries penetrating. Traumatic brain injuries and uh, multiple amputations that, in any other conflict prior to the current ones, people would have died from. You know, close to forty thousand people survived those injuries in this in these wars that wouldn't have in any other conflict prior. And so we created this vast subclass of chronically ill people and caregivers who had no wherewithal in terms of what they would face over the next you know six decades of caring for them. So I got this idea if I could simply put this play Philoctetes in front of veterans and their families who were struggling with these issues that that maybe would be of help. And um, I didn't know anyone in the military when I started. I didn't know anyone active duty and it took a long time to convince anyone that it would be a good idea and to let us in, but eventually we got our first audience of uh, 400 Marines about a year and a half later uh, in San Diego.
0: And uh, how did you get to the Marines?
1: Well, I was reading another uh, investigative piece in the New York Times this time about this wave of violence that was returning from Iraq and Afghanistan and manifesting in murders and in homicides and also in suicides. It was a controversial piece um, um, that um, by Debbie Sontag and Lizette Alvarez that um, that kind of for the first time depicted the human cost that was coming back to our shores from our, from our foreign fo- policy decisions and Um, it, it was startling. And in that, in that article, um, there was a section called an ancient connection, (laughs) which Jonathan Shea, the MacArthur award-winning psychiatrist, whom you've interviewed before, um, talked about how. You know, storytelling from his perspective was born from the need to hear and tell the soldier's story and to communalize the experience of war. And um, then, just after Shea's quote, there was a quote from uh, this Navy psychiatrist named Bill Nash, uh, William 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 um, P. Nash, who who um, said that he starts every discussion he has with people about combat stress and about essentially what the marines call ptsd with uh, the story of sophocles ajax which is, was another play that i had been working on um which is about the suicide of a great respected warrior in the ninth year of the trojan war so i immediately started emailing uh people until i got um until i got uh, Dr. Nash to respond and um, he responded immediately with the invitation to perform at the uh, sort of the, this uh, combat operational stress control conference in San Diego which was a gathering of Marines and their spouses to talk about this very issue. Um, it was our big break. We had no idea what we were doing. We, we brought six actors out to San Diego including Jesse Eisenberg and David Strathairn and others and we performed six scenes from um, from Ajax and Philoctetes, these two ancient Greek war plays by Sophocles. And we scheduled a 45-minute discussion, and the discussion lasted three and a half hours and had to be cut off after midn- close to midnight. And um, more than 50 people stood up and quoted lines from Sophocles' plays from memory and then related them to the most harrowing personal stories they'd let- never shared in private, let alone in front of 400 of their peers. And we discovered at this critical juncture – Uh, when it was perceived to be a kind of career-ending gesture in the military to talk about your own struggle with invisible wounds, that we had stumbled across a very powerful ancient tool.
0: At the end came a standing ovation, but also angry confrontation that you saw as catharsis.
1: Well, I mean, look, so we had, yes, we had a big standing ovation. People were listening with a level of attention I'd never seen in the commercial or nonprofit theater, you know, and, and never will because, you know, every word was of life and death significance to that audience. It's not It's not like we go to the theater and, and expect to have lives saved. Um, by people recognizing themselves and the characters on stage, though I'm sure it happens. Um, People jumped to their feet. The Marines were extremely polite and extremely warm, and I thought, well, we must have touched a nerve. And we did. We touched multiple nerves. We touched nerves that made people... I think, feel relief, relief to discover they weren't alone in feeling the things that were described in these 2,500-year-old plays. But we also touched nerves where people were very uncomfortable. Um, They were uncomfortable with the fact that there was so much work to be done to help people who were struggling, and they were frustrated that people weren't using the resources that Congress had appropriated billions of dollars to create. And um, so we had some arguments in the audience and we, you know, we since learned how to actually frame a discussion so that it doesn't result in, in shouting. But, um, but we validate everybody's perspective and we try to find a way to create a space where actually people can voice their opinions no matter how angry. And, um, you know, a, a, a general stood up after a very early performance of theater of war and answered a question that I ask all audiences, which is why do you think Sophocles wrote this play? And the general said, um, that Sophocles wrote the play to, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Um, and that's what happened that first night. I mean, we had a lot of comfort. But we also had the uncomfortable affliction of, of just in the, the gargantuan task ahead. I mean, t- time was not our friend, and there were a lot of people suffering in silence and a lot of people leaving the military, um, you know, in undesirable circumstances to unsupportive communities at a time where we didn't really have a handle on what this was.
0: We should remind our audience that uh, Sophocles himself was a general for many, many years, uh, elected to that rank uh, by his followers, that some of the angriest people in that first reading were the wives of generals who thought their husbands were somehow being devalued uh, as leaders of uh, the conflict that had produced these problems. Uh, But you learned the next morning that there were actually three generals in the back, and that, that seemed to add some significance to what you had done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, everyone in the audience had been communicating in this highly coded way. I think, you know, on on behalf of the fact that there were generals sitting there listening in the back row, everyone was communicating with, was communicating with them just indirectly. And I think one of the things that's most powerful about the form, and this is probably what was happening in the ancient world as well, because we knew the generals sat up front in thrones in the um, ancient context in the Theater of Dionysus um, when the plays were performed in the 5th century B.C., um, is that it gives. There's a kind of boundary dissolution that occurs when you've when you approach an audience with this level of intensity of emotion, and uh, all of a sudden, because we're all human, we're all on an even playing field, and and we know the project is working when the lowest ranking person in the room is speaking the truth in front of the most powerful, and it's being heard and validated and acknowledged. So, you know, we just did a performance. Um, we just did a performance um, on Sunday night. Uh, at National Geographic where we had in D.C. in the audience the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Secretary of the Terry, of the VA, British and Greek Ambassadors, all kinds of high-ranking people. We also had 100 or more wounded soldiers from the Warrior Transition Unit and from the Wounded Warrior Regiment from the Marine Corps. So in some ways the magic of Theater of War has been about bringing those two populations together and allowing them to hear each other, the highest ranking and the lowest ranking. And when it really works, then the lowest ranking feel validated and heard which i'm sure was sophocles intent and the highest ranking come away saying as many do every time i'm going to make some changes I, i i need to do more um i need to listen to my troops i need to know my my subordinates i need to encourage a culture which redefines what it means to be strong Um, you know, that there's a a possibility for some vulnerability within our conception of masculine strength, not just masculine strength, but strength in general, because, of course, a large portion of the military is now female as well.
0: How many performances of Greek tragedy have you given by now to military and civilian audiences?
1: So, Of Theater of War, which has been our bread and butter for the last eight years, we've done 357 for more than 75,000 service members, veterans, and their families. We also have now 16 other projects, uh, of which there are three or four other projects we do for military audiences. So, you know, I think probably around 500 at this point. Um, And so we've learned a lot from these audiences. And what we've learned from the military audiences has informed what we do for other audiences who've experienced trauma or loss or um, who are Dealing with a social issue that we feel we can we can crack open and create dialogue around with this form, um, you know whether we like it or not, the U.S. military is a is a vast social experiment, um, and anyone who's come into contact with it understands that. I mean, I know my own hometown in Virginia wouldn't have been integrated. Racially, had it not been for the military, um, and I think you know, with, with in terms of gay rights, in terms of transgender rights, women's rights, um, although the military can be perceived as a, a kind of bastion of conservative values, really, it's this, it's this melting pot where, you know, individual identity isn't the primary, um, uh, primary importance. Um, it's a larger mission, and so what results is these vast, these incredible advancements, um, for better and for worse, uh, advancements in weaponry, advancements in how we kill people, but also advancements in terms of social justice, advancements in terms of our understanding of mental health. And I think we have never had a cohort of individuals this large in the modern era returning to a scientific community that wants to understand the contours of what these types of invisible wounds are. And so um, we're having this paradigm shifting moment in our understanding of trauma and of PTSD and traumatic brain injury because of, unfortunately, because of the tragedies that you know, many of our service members and their families have faced.
0: Where does this project go next? The major performance is scheduled.
1: Yeah, so Theater of War just performed at National Geographic. Um, we're performing at the University of Virginia this coming week for the 50th anniversary of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Um, and we have, you know, performances scheduled, you know, at least a year out all over the country and the world. Um, we just came back from Edinburgh where we performed. Um, we've, um, we're in conversations with actually the House of Commons to do it um, for Parliament in, in the U.K. Um, we're now breaking into other countries. Australia, New Zealand. Um, So Theatre of War is is moving out in all these incredible directions, but I'll just say that our other projects which have been based on Theatre of War um, are even more exciting. Um, we're, we're launching a project this coming weekend in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, called Antigone in Ferguson. Well, we'll be performing um, uh, Sophocles' Antigone in the high school that Mike Brown attended before he was shot, um, and in a Black Lives Matter, you know, safe church um, in Ferguson um, for a split audience of the African American community and law enforcement. And we're going to have a 33-person gospel choir singing the choruses of Antigone, and 10 of those. 33 individuals singing the choruses of Antigone set to gospel are police officers and police officers' wives. Wow. And we're going to facilitate a discussion that we hope will bring empathy and understanding. We're not expecting a kumbaya moment, but we are expecting people to hear each other, to see the roles that we're all playing, to acknowledge that we are playing roles, and to, and to hear each other out. And um, that project is already now booked in Baltimore uh, in December. You know, we'll take it to other cities that desperately need this dialogue, this humanizing dialogue. We also have a project on gun violence that's premiering at the uh, Brooklyn Public Library, um, which we see as a direct offshoot of Theatre of War. These are other theatres of war, as you might imagine, unfortunately. And and so um, we'll be performing a play by Euripides called The Madness of Hercules. We're calling it Hercules in Brooklyn, the project. And um, we're going to have a major hip-hop artist playing um, Hercules. And we've engaged all of the – in this play about – this a very obscure play by Euripides about an angry man with an invincible weapon. Uh, namely Hercules, who goes on a killing spree and ultimately kills not just his enemies but his own family, point blank, with his invincible weapon. And it's not just about that act, but it's about how the community responds to that act, because when confronted by the community, um, or when he confronts the community that has witnessed this unthinkable violence, instead of turning him into a pariah, his, his, his friends say, you must share the pollution of what you've done with your friends. And that's a radically different response to violence than I think we, you know in terms of our, our incarceration rates and how we, th- we think about what we do to people who perpetrate violence uh, in this country um, and it's going to raise lots of questions about well, what's our ethical and moral responsibility as citizens when unthinkable violence occurs
0: There must be a website that the people can go to to see yeah. where you're performing. What
1: is yeah, that? so we're all over the country if you if you Google Theater of War you'll find our website but if you um, our, the name of the company is Outside the Wire which is just the umbrella company under which these 17 projects including Theater of War all fall and the website That is um, www.OutsideTheWireLLC.com.
0: Is there a role for the new technology here, DVDs, YouTube videos, social media variations, or does the ancient drama work best when there are live actors and a live audience that can see, hear, and feel one another's responses?
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think one of the reasons the theater of war is so powerful and our projects are so needed is that we live in this hyper-mediated world in which we actually are robbed of the ability of being in each other's physical presence when we experience a lot of these tragic stories we are consuming constantly in the news. And not being in the presence of other people who are collectively suffering and acknowledging our discomfort at what we're reading, I think, is a huge deficit. I'm not a Luddite. I definitely believe in the using these technologies as uh, extensions of what we do. We certainly use social media. We have a Theater of War app. We've had documentary efforts. We have lots of media stories about what we do. But nothing replaces the power of this medium of sitting together in a room with our with our devices turned off and, and facing the darkest aspects of our humanity as a community. I mean, in the beginning, I thought Theater of War, I thought tragedy was about um, – I thought it was an expression of pessimism and fatalism, like we learn in school. And the plays are pessimistic and fatalistic, but it, as it turns out, that's not the response they provoke in audiences, I think today, but also in the ancient world. What they, what they provoke is a sense of relief and morale building, and I think awareness, and hopefully a kind of hypervigilance, you know, not, not, not to go home and pessimistically hang our heads at the futility of human agency or lack thereof. but to be aware enough to think about the fact that we might have a slim chance of making a decision that will avert violence or destruction before it's too late. Not
0: to contradict what you've said, but you have also done to a degree what? Sophocles and the other ancient writers did. You've taken uh, the facts of what you've learned and turned it into a narrative uh, in a new graphic novel titled The Odyssey of Sergeant Jack Brennan, uh, using the graphic novel as as another medium. What's the story, the message, and the reader response so far?
1: yeah so um we um yeah we launched i've had three books come out this year, um the third of which is the Odyssey of Sergeant Jack Brennan. It was a project that was actually funded and developed under the umbrella of DARPA, the Wing of the Department of Defense that developed among many other things the internet and um then uh, Random House Pantheon bought it and is now distributing it um. The idea was simply that, you know, we've reached 75,000 service members and their families of theater of war, but that's a very small fraction of the population that needs to be reached. So we developed this as an extension. It's not going to replace a theatrical performance, but it might provoke a similar type of conversation. So we adapted Homer's Odyssey, and the the, the, um, graphic novel is a retelling of Homer's Odyssey from the perspective of a Marine sergeant to his infantry squad on their last night in Kyrgyzstan in 2011 following a particularly bloody deployment um, to Afghanistan and he tells them in his own language in the Marines language his version of the Odyssey hence it's called Sergeant Brennan's Odyssey um, and only the parts of the Odyssey that he feels are germane to their the challenges they'll face on their journey home but the central metaphor of the Odyssey as I'm sure everyone knows is that it's possible to spend you can be home and feel lost at sea you can spend 20 years trying to get home and realize it's not the place you left or that you're not the person who left it and um all of the things that seem kind of fantastical and um you know like magical of uh, um you know um fantasy in the in the odyssey actually are these very powerful and valent metaphors as Jonathan Shea has pointed out in his work um, for the, the struggles that veterans face um, returning home whether it's drugs in the land of the lotus eaters or it's um, you know, it's um, being waylaid and um, sort of forgetting that you're on the journey home or um, some, even some of these monsters the way that, a kid, um, that Odysseus ties himself to his mask to face the sirens totally unnecessarily because he can't stop himself from seeking The thrills and the adrenaline that he had in combat. Um, These are all readings of the text that may or may not be ultimately academically justifiable, but doesn't matter from my perspective because we're storytellers and we have a mission. And the real question is, does it work? Does it help people face their struggles and tell their stories. So the graphic novel is now out and um, people are writing us all kinds of great feedback and our hope is that it becomes a training tool in the military and also becomes a discussion tool outside of the military, not just for those who serve, but for you know young people who are studying these, these texts in school and um, trying to find a way to see their contemporary relevance
0: sounds like it could even become a film or a TV miniseries.
1: Yeah, easily. Uh, We have not been approached yet, but uh, the lines are open. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Dorries, thank you. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Brian Dorries is a classicist, translator, and director whose Theater of War project presents staged readings of Greek tragedies for military and civilian communities to help explain, share, and reduce war's inevitable legacy of pain and loss. The new fall 2016 issue of World Policy Journal, History's Ghosts, features an article headlined Healing the Invisible Wounds of War with Greek Tragedy, adapted from a 2015 book by Doris, The Theater of War, What Ancient Greek Tragedies Can Teach Us Today, from Knopf. His other books include All That You've Seen Here is God, new versions of four Greek tragedies from vintage last year, and this year's The Odyssey of Sergeant Jack Brennan from Pantheon. Also featured in the new WPJ fall issue, History's Ghosts, you'll find articles on what lessons from history keep being forgotten, on Ethiopia's original sin, the Oromo tragedy, and on the decline of sovereignty in the Arab world by noted Beirut-based author and journalist Rami Kuri. And listen next week when our podcast will consider the century-long, brutally-run Indian residential school project of Canada and the problems that persist. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Jaffa Frederick, Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern.